everybody, and welcome to Tamper Tantrum number 54, or episode the 54th, or I'm not quite sure how we're saying it anymore. Things have kind of gone awry. Um, as you might have noticed, I wasn't on or supervising last week's podcast, so things definitely went awry, but I think we're going to come back to something that's really interesting. Not that Jer and Colin weren't interesting, just a little all over the place. Um, but this week, I'm actually really excited to bring someone back to Tamper Tantrum that spoke in uh, Dublin in 2012, and I'm sure things have changed quite a bit since then. Um, he's a lovely person. I'm so excited to have him here. Please welcome Kaz from Waterloo Tea. Hi, Kaz. How are you? Hey, Jen. I'm good, thank you. Nice, nice to hear you again. Yeah, it feels like it's been a while. I, I see you intermittently like once every year or so, <laughs> and it's never quite enough because I always have so many questions. But um, mm, how are you yeah. doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I was. Uh, I think the last time I saw you was in Panath, you, you and Dale. Yes, uh, yeah. Popped down, so it was nice to have you back on our shores again. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's all it's all going well. It's uh, a lot of things have happened since uh, since t- that 2012 talk. I'd and, say so. Um, so yeah, lot, lots of exciting things and how the business has grown and how the tea industry has, has moved forward. So so yeah, it's been a good four years. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes it's better not to think about it in terms of your span. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it makes me really nervous and I go, oh my God, I'm really old. How did that happen? I know. But, um, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but that's super because that's exactly some of what I wanted to talk to you about. But really quickly, before we jump into some of that stuff, um, for those who are sort of new to the party and maybe who weren't around in 2012 or haven't gone back through all of the archives, um, can you kind of give us the 60 second biography of Kaz and Waterloo Tea and sort of how you got to where you are? Oh, well, okay, 60 seconds. <laughs> I know that's a bit of a stretch for you. <laughs> you should know me better than that. Uh, so, um, Cardiff boy, uh, pharmacist by trade, uh, so a scientist, and uh, loved traveling, um, and uh, settled down back in Cardiff after having moved around to different cities, decided to open something close to where we live, which would be good quality, good service, and um, didn't expect it to be popular. If, if nothing else, it would just be a place that we could go and hang out. And uh, we decided to have tea at the forefront versus the strong movement that was happening on uh, on the coffee front. And so how we went about that was we sourced, uh, we tried to source and uh, the best teas from over the world, uh, curate a fabulous menu, which allowed people to enter the world of tea, but also to graduate onto, you know, very specialty, uh, unadulterated single origin teas uh, in a setting that wasn't pretentious and wasn't quaint. So, um, so that was the, that was the idea. We wholesaled tea a couple of, a couple of uh, years after opening and, um, and I'm, general customer base on that front uh, are your guys specialty coffee shops uh, who who care about brewing and um, three years ago we opened our second shop uh, Panath where, where I met you last and uh, nearly two years ago we opened one in the city centre so three different locations and uh, three different uh, tests I guess of how to run a business in, in those different locations um, is that 60 seconds? <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you know, that's, that's a funny thing because you are actually really good at If I give you a time limit, you try really hard to fit into it, even though your instincts sort of push you beyond that. Um, no, I think, I think that's a great overview. Um, which actually brings me to, in terms of time limits, uh, the last time you got up and spoke on Tamper Tantrum, you know, we said 20 minutes cause it. I think you'd done a run through the night before and it was 90 minutes long and you yeah. still came in and did 20 minutes the next day. So that was yeah. incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of things which I I left out, uh, and um, so but there's there's lots to talk about with with tea, and the same with coffee. If you're speaking to an audience which isn't used to that field, it's God, where do I start or what do I talk about? So yeah, uh, so twenty minutes summed it up uh, <laughs> in twenty twelve. So. <laughs> Well, I know it's been, like you said, four years, even though I prefer not to think of it in terms of that span. But um, I've actually I've got some follow up questions since then, because things have changed quite a bit. Um, and I know you, you sort of started out with this incredible picture. It's like tea needs you. And um, you were you were talking about how, you know, specialty coffee really needed to sort of look at tea in, in a similar light and stop serving things that, you know, we're just you're, we're not, not pricing it properly, not serving it properly, not treating it with the same respect and and like ways that you could do that. But also that specialty coffee needed tea. Um, it was a great way to sort of. Um, fill in that afternoon gap where people don't want to have caffeine or want a slightly different kind of service and, and to sort of how it, it would be a mutually beneficial arrangement. Um, mm. So in the, in the past four years, have you seen specialty coffee embrace tea in the way that you'd hoped? Um, it's definitely moved forward. And uh, the problem was, I think when we started this whole project and when we started wholesaling, uh, we would approach people and say, hey, guys, uh, you should really have good tea. And they, you know, what it's like when you open up a shop and you've spent all your money and then somebody says, uh, you need to spend another thousand pound on this. And it's like, oh, God, OK, where do we get that from? So um, and what tea needed to be served well was a bit of teaware, often a boiler um, and some and some tea which didn't really cost much so um, so boilers are prevalent every specialty coffee shop that opens now had a boiler due to the filter coffee being um, a, a key key part of the menu so um, so yes yeah, so what that's allowed has been um, not too much investment going in for established places to bring introduce a, a good tea menu and anywhere there is opening nowadays generally thinks of tea as well so they they understand that you know historically we've been known as a nation of tea drinkers the problem always has been as i alluded to in in 2012 uh that um we never added value onto it when you went out and, and drank a, a cup of tea it was you know it was like coffee in the polystyrene cup many years ago um so that's definitely changed um are we there yet uh, not really um but um slowly surely i think it, it will and um things like the tea brewers cup and other things that were that we're playing with, I think, will will help uh, cement tea. The, the reason why I, I felt that specialty coffee shops should be the home of tea was that, um, you know, cafe culture is huge right now, isn't it? Pubs have died away in the daytime unless they're serving good lunch and, and, and coffee, I, I guess. Um, so they've become a haven for people who want to meet in the daytime. Uh, and they're not just coffee drinkers so so yeah for sure they tea sits really well in that environment as does 
good food nowadays. So they they are becoming all-encompassing venues. Um, so yeah, yeah. So yeah, good strides, but a long way to go, I would say. Um, you know, we could probably say the same about coffee. <laughs> Definitely, you're, you're, yes. You're never really satisfied, are we? Until yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got there, so yeah. So one of the things that I found really interesting, and, and I usually find this whenever we bring in someone who is in a field that's related to coffee or similar to coffee or ten, sort of, I call them tangential fields, um, is that the, uh, the, the, the lens through which you view things often sort of sparks um, sort of light bulbs of recognition or things like that in coffee people. And one of the things, like a light bulb moment I totally had when I was listening to your talk was you were talking about how coffee has brew brands. And it's something that I think we sort of take for granted, but that you can go and you can get an Aeropress or a Chemex or a Kalita. You know, there's all these different sort of brewing methods that we sort of sell filter coffee based on. Um, and you had sort of said that tea hadn't quite gotten to that point yet. Are you starting to see that? Is that happening at all? Or is it still very much either cup or pot? Um, it depends where you go. So, as we said, you know, a, a great Japanese tea, really, um, the filtration that you use uh, after you brew it should be quite wide, should be uh, allow sediment to come through, whereas other uh, styles of tea, um, they they should be slightly finer. Um, the Gai Wang for brewing oolongs doesn't have a uh, a filter at all you just cock the lid back on the top of a bowl um, and they all produce different um, different mouthfeel effectively mouthfeel is, is really important so the problem we've got in the tea industry is that the big boys um, there's definite parallels with with the coffee industry but the big boys uh, in the tea industry so the big tea uh, suppliers they are it's mainly bags so it's not that necessary to design a teapot that is amazing for brewing tea or a number of teapots that are good for brewing different styles of tea um, so, so so that's that's the first thing and uh, what that means is, is there's no pressure on manufacturers to come up with the goods um, now when we look at uh, and I know a lot of coffee shops again have gone to uh, local ceramicists or throwers to make their cups and, and bowls um, when we look at these moving, uh, spreading across the industry as known brands, the problem that most of them encounter is that they're not highly fired enough. So they chip and uh, a Saturday dishwasher comes in, you know, goes goes through more in breakages and the wages probably. Um, so, so there's that again. And again, it's only the big boys who can make things which are resilient for the catering trade. So, so there's nothing out there. Now, there, there is the pot that most people use, which is the, the Four Life Stump, um, which again, has got moving parts and chips. Uh, so isn't great. But there's no real excuse because when we look at... Um, God, the number of requests I have from managers in our shop saying, Kaz, we need some more Hario servers or we need some more Kalita servers because they break all the time. So coffee seems to cope with it, I guess. Uh, um, but to have an all-encompassing uh, pot in which you can brew the tea, which you can take the infuser out and then uh, you've got a delicious brew at the end, we're way away from that. And it, it just needs, essentially, again, going back to the the community uh, of, of tea people uh, it needs a concerted uh, effort and a, a single voice demanding the same thing approaching one of the big boys and saying hey look 
we'd like you to design a teapot and we're all going to buy it from you. So those kind of things will, will help. So uh, unfortunately, no, no holy grail happening. <laughs> <in the field. laughs> Not quite yeah. yet. Um, uh, and then one of the, I mean, we talked in your talk and in the questions afterwards, there were, we, you know, I think everyone sort of was jumping on you about like aspects of service behind the bar and also in front of the bar. And one of the things that um, you were speaking about then and one of the things that I think is really interesting about sort of, because um, I, I, I'm going to totally own up to this. I did a sneak peek on the website and I was looking at your wholesale brochure, which I think is beautiful, by the way, mm-hmm. um, is this, this sort of commentary on boilers and, um, you know, Coffee technology has moved leaps and bounds, I'd say, you know, between 2012 and 2016 in terms of like stability and temperature technology in uh, espresso machines. Um, are you seeing the same in boilers? Is that is that something that's really made an impact on selling tea as a retail and a cafe experience? Um, so definitely for sure, home domestic kettles uh most of them you can buy with variable temperature and they're they're cheap uh i'm not talking about gooseneck uh, you don't really need those for tea but general ones uh, you know they're only 10 20 pound more expensive than a than a regular kettle so for for home use yeah, yeah i think uh, we're there or thereabouts um in uh in the catering environment in in for cafes uh, you've got some yeah obviously we know the ones very accurate boilers uh which are used uh, in the coffee world um the, the uber boiler for example is is amazing uh however with tea you've got you know some teas which need to be brewed at 65 some are uh, close to boiling and uh, that style of boiler doesn't allow drop in temperature and going back up uh, um, so where are we now I, I think there's something about to come out soon uh, yeah uh, which um, which where I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it but uh, uh, but uh, in Dublin there'll be an exciting announcement I think where uh, uh, which will be linked to the Tea Bros Cup and hopefully and it'll be used in, in service which will be great um, so so oh I accidentally uh, stumbled on that one sorry I didn't <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was you, there, but that's are that you is signing up yet? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not. I'm not trying to find you out or anything, or make you make you say things you shouldn't. Um, yeah. No, that's that's super. Exciting. And we'll get to we'll get to some of the exciting things that are happening in Dublin um, mm-hmm. soon, because I I know that was that was sort of the impetus for for putting this podcast together with you. Mm-hmm. Is like got this email and I was like, oh wow, this is awesome. This is so mm-hmm. exciting. But anyway, we'll get to that in a little yeah, bit because sure. I still have. One more question I want to ask following from 2012, if we can pull back about four years. Um, (laughs) There was an interesting question in the audience about, and and you've mentioned as well here, is the the big boys. Um, And there was a question about whether or not chains would ever be able to sort of latch on to specialty tea and be able to um, serve it in a way that would be, you know, or source it, serve it, and and sort of get behind it in the same way that they're trying to get behind specialty coffee now, whether or not they'd be successful in doing that. And there were a variety of opinions there. You know, one, I think you were you were fairly skeptical, and I think Colin had said, well, yeah, but then, you know, they don't have to do all that fussy stuff with latte art. You know, it's, it's a little bit easier to implement at a chain level in his in his eyes um, than, say, specialty coffee might be. Um, has do you, are you still fairly skeptical? Are you seeing anyone that's trying? Um, has it been successful or is it just we're still doing the teabag thing? Uh, yeah, so the last four years has has brought about changes in, in that front. Um, I think, you know, when I guess everybody gets involved in specialty and they always say, oh, well, this, you know, it has to be single origin. It has to be unadulterated. Da, 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 da. Um, everything else is uh, amateur and isn't really our world. Um 
I think that's a fair enough point. Uh, however, uh, there, there needs to be an appreciation of where the industry is at the moment. And um, I don't know if you were at the London Coffee Festival. I was, uh, yes. You were. Do you remember the Starbucks stand? Yes, I do. Did you see any coffee on there? Um, honestly, I walked by very quickly, but I think yeah. it was mostly tea, wasn't it? Yeah, there, there wasn't a coffee bean in sight. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> At least on the day when I was there, yeah. they were launching their brand Tivana and uh, right. in, in the UK, which obviously is, uh, it was taken over by them a, a few years back. And, uh, and so if we look at the bigger picture, so if we say, okay, you know, uh, sure, we love our adulterated single origin, how are the public? going to get to that stage and they'll probably have to pass through that vanilla latte stage uh where so on the stand they had um you can make your own blend they had um, these tubes on the wall dispensers and uh you can add some of each of them and make your own blend uh which would pro- they probably taste awful but uh, at <laughs> least uh, the people were engaged yeah, and yeah, yeah. They, were into it. they were making some uh iced teas uh they had some loose leaf on offer um they're going to roll with bags to start off with um under the brand of Chivana and maybe have some iced teas iced teas going on so i think the way that specialty should view the big companies is i don't know if you've been to a t2 yet as well have you been to one of those shops no i haven't australian bought by unilever uh, spreading across the world basically and there's there's a few in, in the UK already uh, again we can uh, debate whether the quality of the tea is, is as good as it can get but one thing is for sure when you walk in the staff are really engaging there's bright colours there are often new samples you'll normally leave with something to brew the tea in and some loose leaf tea so, uh, so how we should view these big companies is that they're doing us a favour and hopefully people will graduate onto from the vanilla latte onto the filter coffee and uh, so that's uh, so they are embracing tea more and more um because it's just when you look at all the stats it's just a huge growth sector in, in that industry and um will they ever be able to uh, i haven't seen a chain brew coffee well yet either so i uh even some of the you know, the, one of the biggest chains has got a real fancy shop in, in Seven Dars in London, and they've got all, uh, all the kit. So it all looks amazing, but in the cup it still tastes terrible. So there's, uh, um, there's a bit more to it, uh, I guess, as you know, in delivering uh, deliciousness in a cup. Uh, so, um, so fingers crossed, um, they will, and if they do really embrace loose leaf tea. They will help push the industry forward. You know, I, when I was talking about our wholesale side, um, you know, we mainly work with uh, good roasters, independent coffee shops. Uh, we've also worked with huge chains in developing their tea menus for them. Uh, Harrison Hall, we worked with with um, with Andrew Tolly and uh, uh, a big specialty coffee chain in in the netherlands and they try and they you know they just need key people in in their organization to push it forward uh the problem is with those kind of chains i'm not talking about either of them in particular but generally in business what happens is bottom line is often too uh too much of a consideration and the big picture of the message 
about the brand uh, is delivered in other ways other than product quality. So uh, it's, most of these places focus on environment and comfy seats and good service, I guess, nowadays versus what's on the plate or what's on the cup. So um, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see uh, how how well they uh, uh, embrace specialty tea. Yeah. Fingers crossed. It could be a very, it could be a positive uh, because they'll help change the industry more than independents will. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I think, um, and you had sort of said it back in in 2012, is that like when you go into a shop, uh, like when you're looking for coffee, you sort of look at the equipment that's there, and you, you do it with tea as well. You look at what boilers they have. Um, but recently, I mean, I feel like, especially when we went to WBC in Seattle, um, you know, we, we all walked into the Starbucks reserve and they, they had, you know, the black eagles and they had the, this and this grinder and that grinder. And we're all just sort of sitting there going, oh crap, they cracked the code. Now, how are we going to be able to tell? Like, because that's, that's sort of the, you know, the, the first go-to point, um, mm. for us determining whether or not a place is worth taking a gamble on. And, and do you think that that's, going to be a difficulty that we have to overcome is there do we need to now like both in tea and coffee start looking at ways of differentiating ourselves i feel like there are some people who are already trying to do that or do we just sort of roll with it and yeah take it on as a positive okay these people have taken up some of the message maybe if we just push a little harder they'll pick up the rest of it or we can get some of those people to graduate yeah um uh, yeah, I think it, this is probably a podcast in itself I think, you know, <laughs> yeah, independent so um talking from uh, where I am so we've got we've now got three shops and I've seen mm-hmm. the change from one to going on to, to going on to three right in my opinion there's no better business to visit than an own, owner operated one as long as the owner isn't a dick you know but uh, yeah. as long as uh, <laughs> there's this the level of service and quality and care that's going to be present you're not going to be able to replicate that in, in a multiple or, or a big chain so mm-hmm. independents have always got that in in their favor um the uh as they roll out i think generally everything does get diluted mm-hmm. uh, and um that's just just the way it is uh, yeah. from 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 what i've seen and um so uh so let's if we talk about the independent versus the chain i think there's lots of things that the independent can offer and the chain can't uh, mm-hmm. so when we look at staff motivation for example you know the owner operated will be able to have more of that uh, if not for the staff that they employ themselves at least you know they'll mm-hmm. they'll be more motivated um going back to starbucks reserve did, was it tasty um yeah i mean i think certain things were and certain things weren't it depended on what you yeah. ordered the the level yeah. of care and attention and the service was really interesting because it was along the lines of in some ways better service than i think some busy independence yeah. could give be, just because mm-hmm. they of the scale of the operation they had so many people there that there was there was somebody to talk to everyone um mm. but yeah it was kind of hit or miss like it, it depended a little bit mm. yeah it, it is uh i also i think it's a it is a tricky time so you know uh, seven eight years ago whenever the specialty coffee shops started growing really quick um it was great. Uh, nowadays, uh, there's a fight for location mm-hmm. going yeah. on in, in many cities. So, uh, and uh, people are just banking great units in you know with high uh, on good thoroughfares uh, with high footfall, and uh, and landlords are responding to that. And you've got 
independence being pushed further and further out. So A, they haven't got brand recognition. B, they're out of the way a bit. So so there, there is a challenge on that front and whether cafes will be a business that um, uh, people wanting to be self-employed can go into. I think if we look at Australia, it is true, you, you can do that. You know, you, you can beat the big boys at their own game. But if they, um, it'd be interesting to see how far they come over into uh, into delivering specialty uh, in a way that I guess us guys are, are happy with. Um, I, you know, when we look at, as you mentioned, better machines, that's solving better grinders, it is making the life of a barista easier. Um, and uh, if they nail the roasting of the coffee, which in my opinion, none of the chains, even Starbucks Reserve, it, I guess it, was, it didn't suit well, the ones I've had, uh, wasn't exactly what I was after. So, but it doesn't seem as if they wouldn't be able to do that. And um, so it'll be interesting to see what effect that has. The one thing I think independents have responded to this because when you walk into chains, the food is all prepackaged. Whereas independents have really been making a big push on their food offerings, and um, so that seems food is something that can't be rolled out on um, mass. You know, if you're if you're concerned about freshness, um, so they'll find pockets where chains can't compete with them, and. Um, but time will tell, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, what are your thoughts? I'm just interested to know. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. I, I, I agree with you. I think I'm inclined to agree. I think, I think it's really hard to bring um, heart and soul to a chain across the board. But I do think certain outlets of certain chains say, like, if they have the right staff on board or if they have people who are really engaged and thoughtful, like, they will, they will make something out of more than what they have. But I think, yeah, on the whole, like, even though the intention is to match uh, quality and service um, and the standard across the board in every single location, I think it, it can be difficult to do purely because, you know, the locations are different, the people are different, and the battles you have to fight sort of in each location to get settled um, can be different as well, you know. Mm. And at least, I guess, with the chain, you sort of have a large brand that you are working with, and so maybe that brand is more recognizable, so you have fewer battles to fight, but mm. um, you're still going to have to sort of deal with local expectations of, you know, what is good or what is wanted or needed, Um yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think I'm inclined to agree with you, but it is, I'm just curious because in, in coffee, like, you know, this is something we're talking about quite a lot. And then we're also talking about making coffee accessible and whether that is through, you know, having like some of the, the smaller independent, originally independent brands sort of, you know, go public or change or be bought by larger companies, which we're seeing a lot of right now, or if it's, you know, sort of dipping our toes into things like instant coffee and pods and stuff like that. Mm. I think there's a drive for accessibility and I'm just kind of curious to see where it goes. Yeah, there has become, I think the industry has just matured and everything that we were against before we actually look at now and we think, oh, that's a great idea. I wish I'd done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, it's just part of growing up, I guess. And um, yeah, the, the snapping up of good chains uh, by uh, outside investors um, has been really interesting. And I think that. Uh, time will tell to see how how that pans out but um yeah yeah interesting times definitely yeah. for sure yeah. well yeah. and and as you've as you've settled actually i kind of want to 
want to take a take a quick look at a, at a couple of things that are going on in your corner of the world specifically. So, you know, as, as we're talking about making tea more accessible, like I one of the lovely things um, about going to your shop is that there is this immense selection of specialty tea there. And there is all of this education that is available to me if I look for it. But if you don't go and you don't ask the questions, you know, you're not necessarily going to have it shoved down your throat. I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and it's something that I think coffee could learn from a little bit. And I think some coffee shops take that approach and others just always want to educate, educate, educate. And like some people just want a nice cup of coffee. Um, mm-hmm. But as you've settled into to Wales and opening shops in Wales, where, which is obviously, you know, again, a, a part of a massive tea drinking culture, one that, that drinks tea often at home, um, and has very specific ideas about what tea is and, and what it means, it, big emotional ties in the way that, you know, people have those ties to coffee. Um, how have you found it settling in? Have, has your customer base changed? Have you had to do, you know, are, are you educating more? Are you educating less? Are you getting people who are searching you out specifically for that experience? Or are you still getting, you know, sort of the grandma from around the corner who just wants a slice of your lovely cake and, and some tea? <laughs> yeah. Um, I th- yeah, from... Visiting other specialty coffee shops and coming into ours, I think tea did attract another section of the population as well. So we uh, we get all the guys you, and girls you'd probably expect in uh, in in your usual coffee shops. Uh, we also get um, uh, a lot. Of, we, our food is pretty good nowadays, and so we we get uh, a lot of that crowd. The afternoon teas that we do brings in uh again a different section of the population um we would do we funny enough in one of the shops in panath uh, we did uh we had a, like a last month's sales of what we sold uh i don't think you're going to believe this but we sold coffee sold more than tea uh by quite a stretch yeah so um so yeah i mean it's just peculiar to that one shop because it's a, it's a small you know 25,000 people in in panath and that's uh, uh the message is still getting out there that tea is better than coffee mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> controversial controversial <laughs> but, um so we yeah we get a lot of geeks coming in who want to talk about our grinders and methods uh we also get yeah a lot of people doing into their teas and want to go through we you know we launched um so how are we trying to engage well I, I always think we're really bad at engaging actually and then uh something that you say is lovely i think is uh the the, the opposite i often <laughs> people walk in and they leave and they say it's nice but i, I don't know uh, exactly why and um so um but it is very uh, minimalist I, I guess our, our approach and uh, uh, we've launched well, we were almost against loyalty cards so then what we did we launched one and it's uh, if you try different teas uh, oh. black a green a white a poor and oolong you'll get the next one free that kind of thing that's and, cool um, so just to encourage people just to go through the different styles of teas um, yeah you, you know as to whether people care really i mean you probably come across this and we you know we we change our coffee nearly every single week and uh we've had people coming in every single morning for eight years since we opened our first shop uh recently they've turned around and said your coffee is different this week have you changed it and (laughs) (laughs) so so engaging and not engaging i think is can be good and, and bad so um uh 
often people, you're right, they just want to come in for a cup of coffee, cup of tea, read the paper, don't want to engage with us. Um, where sometimes if we told them what we were about, they would uh, maybe appreciate it, appreciate it a bit more. But it's, it's a balance to be drawn. It's uh, The worst thing is, you know, when you walk into a place and uh, I always related to uh, other fancy clothes shops or art galleries, you walk in and you... And you're scared to ask a question and you just feel a bit it's all a bit stiff and uncomfortable and um, whereas we should really treat them as guests in our home and uh, so uh, yeah they should relax put their feet up if they want to and uh, have a drink that they came in for so um, so yeah so our, our crowd our customer base is is probably the widest I've seen from visiting any any specialty coffee shops so um uh yeah we we do get a lot of um uh you know the beautiful thing about tea for for me and i i say this with kids who've got allergies you know that um it's very pure uh all we're doing is we're adding hot water and um so we get a lot of uh, people with allergies, gluten-free, uh, a lot of vegans who often, well, in some cases I should say, become vegans because they've got allergies to some right. things. It's just yeah. easier to just to become become vegan, um, and that's a really easy product to serve because we don't need to dress it up. We don't need to add lots of milk. Um, we it is natural, add hot water, and it suits everybody. Um, so that's a pleasing thing. It's nice to, I guess, from my pharmacy background, that's a really nice thing. And we, we mirror that with the other things that we offer with the cakes and the food. So if they come in, hopefully we'll be able to feed them before they go. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, tea definitely attracts that, that market, I think. Yeah. That is, that is yeah, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I mean, if I can, I, I think I'm allowed to, to give a plug here. Um, the cake I had there was incredible. And I have a dairy allergy. So it's very rare that I find a cake somewhere that I actually can eat. And it was incredible. It was just the best thing oh, ever. Yeah, no, and uh, the reason that, so when I said the, the shop, <laughs> that first shop while we opened it, and it was, we were walking in a park and there was a, a row of four shops and one of them closed down soon afterwards. There was nowhere for us to go. Yeah. A couple of things decided on how we would open that shop. One of them was uh, going into restaurants and asking a waiter, hey, look, uh, Zach, our son, he's got an allergy to milk. Can you do this without that ingredient? Yeah. They'd go back to the kitchen. The chef would pop their head out of the door, shake his head. And yeah. We would say, great. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to go somewhere else. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, yeah. that. So that was one thing. So we wanted to to suit that that crowd. Um, uh, and I was telling somebody today, the reason why we opened at 8 o'clock in the morning was because when the kids were young uh, and we were up, all night, we may as well leave the house early. We wanted to open that early. It's a residential yeah. area, so it shouldn't really be open at eight. But it was so it was a very personal way well, how it came about. Uh, to so we opened early to catch dads with prams, basically. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, uh, so they can yeah give the mums a rest. So um, but it's funny how and why I guess businesses come about and, and the reasoning behind them. So yeah. Well, so, I think it's a beautiful thing, and yeah. and similarly, like your wholesale business came around came about sort of for, for not not personal reasons, but I think kind of personal reasons, which is that, you know, you weren't happy with the quality of the tea that, that you guys were able to find. And, and so you decided to, to source yourself, essentially, instead of working through other people. Is that is that right? Did I? 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I guess so. This, uh, uh, how did that come about? Um, so we were always sourcing ourselves uh, either through brokers or through other companies who were a bit more established than us, mm-hmm. who would you know developed uh, relationships with farms and mm-hmm. uh, gained you know organic fair trade status, um, uh, and. Uh, or you know direct with farms so that we had a number of different sources so mm-hmm. we still do um a wholesale business came about um so after about nine years of opening we won i don't know if you've heard of the bsa awards the beverage uh yes. standards association or something like that mm-hmm. uh, we won best coffee shop uh i think after after nine months or ten months after opening and um uh, and uh, so I think that what happened after that was we became quite well known on the coffee scene because they, first of all, they, they'd heard of us for the first time and mm-hmm. secondly, they saw that we were doing tea in a coffee shop and it was recognised by, by an right. organisation. So we had quite a few approaches, people saying, hey guys, we want to introduce tea, uh, can you... Um, uh, sort us out and we so next time we imported some tea we just import some extra, extra. yeah <laughs> yeah that's it so it grew like that really not by design it was yeah oh we've got somebody who we know or somebody over there dale got in touch uh, we sponsored the tea for you remember coffee common when they did yes yes they do i was just talking about coffee common the other day and how incredible oh, yeah. it was yeah they should make a comeback right <laughs> <laughs> and um uh, so we sponsored them uh, to have our tea served, mm-hmm. and then for the following two years, we went up ourselves and we did a tea service yeah. at TED Global um, in in Edinburgh, which which was fantastic. Uh, and just by doing, we gave a talk at oh, we've given a number of talks, but <laughs> coffee fest. It was just like that where people would get to know about us and uh, uh, built up, uh, and it was nice in a way that. I guess when we looked at the tea industry before then, and that's probably similar to coffee in a way, that when people sold tea, they would say, hey, look, we'll give you a free teapot or we'll give you a free boiler. Uh, you know, with coffee roasters, some of them give free grinders, some even free machines, that kind of stuff. And we just thought that was nonsense. You know, we weren't asking our meat supplier to give us a free oven, you know. it's uh, so uh, So we had a really nice approach where we ne- we didn't go hunting for business we it was just created a nice work dynamic for me when people approached you because there was i don't know it just changed the balance of uh, of the relationship and um so we grew like that and yeah we've um uh, i hope we're able to curate i feel as if we're able to curate a good selection of teas to from beginner to um to the tea connoisseur we've just started uh so blends you know i think when we opened i was really adamant that we weren't going to have any flavored blends and then somebody said what about earl gray and jasmine green i said oh, well yeah i guess they need to be on there and then <laughs> oh, God, that from there you know, from there it just yeah. goes yeah so what we've started doing now is actually making tasty blends where where you can taste the tea so uh, often you get blends where you can't taste the tea so now we've got some pretty quirky blends where the white tea really comes through or the green tea really comes through and it's it's not just a gesture so it's not a green tea blend that, that kind of thing so we're, we're playing around with that kind of stuff um 
yeah that's that's how it began I think. yeah okay yeah. and then so but you said as well you know you, you work with some farms directly um and i the only reason i'm asking this is because right now i am just totally um fascinated by different different things in agronomy i've been reading dan barber's mm-hmm. the third plate it's just got me sort of on this uh farming kick at the minute um i know quite a bit about coffee farming i know absolutely nothing about tea farming um, <laughs> you give me like a three minute primer on how that and, it, and obviously it's going to be different I'm sure across the board because different things are picked at different times if I yeah. okay maybe I know like five percent or like one percent I don't know but like I know big things but can you can you give me a quick overview of tea farming and how that works <laughs> yeah sure thing so um so terroir obviously very important the cultivars and the varietal that they decide to use in uh, on that terroir again is, is very important and um, you know everything comes from community senses so that's uh, and there'll be one they'll be, be belonging to that family um so what's interesting right now is before Ceylon made black tea, Darjeeling made semi-oxidized, uh, you know, Assam made black, uh, Japan made green, da, 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 that kind of stuff. People are just playing around a lot more with it nowadays. Uh, so you are getting whites coming from Darjeeling, which aren't, ba- aren't bad. You know, um, and it's um, the key uh development that's happened i mean taiwan and japan have always been streets ahead when it comes to uh the science behind it uh playing around with uh, the plants that they're using um uh the processing has really improved over the last decade uh it really has responded to uh what the public wants, you know, and uh, in the same way as coffee, I guess, with the increase in specialty, specialty grade, grade coffees. Um, it's very, very manual process, um, other than in Japan, where uh, mechanization is seen to be a good thing. Um, so um, the slower the growth, the better. So when we look at uh, Japan, for example, shade-grown teas, you may have heard, they'll be erecting stilts with canopies to slow down the growth. So that's something just doable in some areas if there's a market market for it. Um, what um, I think the, uh, the change, uh, the change, the China has been a huge, uh, a huge event, I guess, in, in the tea world where before most things were exported and um, and now most things are being kept for their uh, their own population. So um, so there's been a less of a play with the tea that are being produced from China than you'll see in other markets where it's mainly for for export. Processing is is key, um, and um, I think that's uh, the when when it comes to tea and I think that uh, that's what we're going to see the, the biggest developments uh, I think happening in, in the future um, it is interesting though but it's uh, India for example one of the farms we work with Meghalaya you know they uh, beautiful beautiful tea oh you like that yeah <laughs> oh, it's so good <laughs> I do like, it is my favourite and uh, he um, it's it's tricky because uh, it's difficult to 
the, the skill of the staff is one of the most important things. Um, and you can have everything else, right? But if the staff aren't there to process uh, the cheese, harvesting obviously is an important process and is more important. And uh, if that skill isn't there year to year, you get dips in quality and, uh, and, and peaks as well. So holding on to good staff on relatively low pay uh, is, a, is a trend that seems to be going on in agriculture across the world, you know, where they can earn 10 times that in, if they move to the city. And therefore, why should they stay? Um, so there, there are challenges um, in the agriculture side of things. But um, if we can prove then to demonstrate that there's a market for what they're going to produce, um, rather than it being year to year, which doesn't allow for any planning, I, I think that... Uh, um, yeah, we should we should see a, a growth and uh, luckily Taiwan and Japan are uh, safe from those those kind of uh, problems. So, yeah. That's um, yeah. Well, I actually so really quickly this, this kind of ties into that, and this will kind of be the last thing before we, we move on to exciting new things happening in Dublin. Um, but so we've seen recently a lot of research coming about from World Coffee Research. I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff that, that they've been putting out in terms of F1 hybrids and, you know, the varietal research project that's sort of tied into the new coffee lexicon that's happening um, that SCAA has put together that's been, you know, developed um, so that we can test that sort of scientific research in a, in a quantifiable way. Is there any similar research happening within the tea world at the minute, especially with climate change coming? And if, if people are beginning to play with um, different processing methods and stuff like that, is there anything happening on that end? Uh, there is, but it's not uh, it's not spread. Uh, so there's no form where it, for it to be deposited. And um, there is a lot of stuff going on in Japan and, and Taiwan, as I said. Uh, whether it's been uh, brought over here in a way that everybody, whether it's shared, uh, I think that's that's the problem that we've got, that the coffee industry seems to have got over when they seem to be acting as one. And um, so that, that, that there lies a root of the problem uh, where, uh, yeah, there is no uh, overarching community to to help with, with this kind of, uh, you know, a lot of the research has been done. If we would go to any university, it's it's probably been done already. It's just how it's shared. And uh, so so it is an ongoing issue in, in the tea industry why, why this information uh, isn't out there. And um, it's good to hear that it's uh, who, who's, who led the way in, in the coffee uh, research that happened. Was it sponsored by? Uh, well, World Coffee or? Research uh, came out of Symposium, which was run by SCAA mm. and Peter Giuliano. And then uh, based on some of the presentations that were given there, it was decided that World Coffee Research would do. And they, they do everything pretty much from um, like up to harvest. Um, and then sort of the specialty coffee associations have been running their own research on everything after harvest. So processing up to, you know, sort of production mm -hmm. and um, brewing and things like that. And even, you know, customer um, customer trends and things. But um, I'm really interested in a lot of the stuff that World Coffee Research is doing. It's really nice mm -hmm. to see it happening. And especially as, you know, things are changing. Uh, you know, in terms of sustainability and, and climate change and things like that. I think it's really good to, to have that knowledge base. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's, uh, yeah, that's a good thing. That's, that's a, you guys are lucky to have, have, that, <laughs> have built that kind of thing up. And uh, um, which, uh, yeah, I, I, fingers crossed, yeah, we, we can adopt that, that kind of approach. As well. yeah. So, yeah. Mm. 
Well, that brings me actually to Dublin, where you are going to be holding um, the World Tea Brewers Championship, Tea Brewers Cup, Tea Brewers Championship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cup, I think. It cup, is, yes. okay. Yeah. And yeah. and I think with the with the goal of bringing the community together in a way and sort of rallying them around this this one thing, so that that kind of knowledge exchange can start to happen, and so that you can start to build that community. So, do you want to give me the the lowdown? How does it work? What what what's happening? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, first of all. Uh, a whole lot of fun. I think that that's the, the reason why we're doing it. Um, uh, we, uh, how did it come about? Uh, Steve, uh, legend that he is from Hasbeen, he came down to Cardiff once. We had, I think we had a throw down or something. We had a 10 minute gap in proceedings. Uh, uh, we both sat down in a quiet corner and I said, you know, Steve, I've got this idea. Cause Steve was involved in the SA at the time. I said, I've got this idea about a tea brewers cup and, uh, uh, and as soon as I said that, uh, Steve said, oh, I, I'm looking for a location, a venue for the, the Brewers Cup in coffee. And uh, so we put our heads together and what we did was we brought the Coffee Brewers Cup to Cardiff and we launched the Tea Brewers Cup at the same time in the same location uh, in the old, old library where I grew up reading books and that, that kind of stuff so uh, it was all very fitting and and lovely something I'd been thinking about for a while uh, so every time I was in London I'd be talking to um, Tim from Postcard Tees who's a good friend of mine and we'd be moaning sometimes about how come it's only me and you talking <laughs> yeah like, um, you know where's everybody else that kind of stuff so the, the Brewers Cup came about for that reason it was really good uh because on the evening uh, of the first day everybody from from the tea industry who came were in one room uh most of them hammered and <laughs> talking sharing knee yeah. arguing yeah. uh something that just needed to happen and it's just beautiful to see you know uh, uh relationships got built uh, and built upon which which was uh, which was nice so so then anyways, we, so i saw the coffee brewers cup and then we you know the arab crisis happens in every uh, state or whatever nowadays so we they had one in uh, in wales and uh, so we hosted that so i saw how that competition uh, worked and uh, and with the tea with the world tea brewers what I what I've tried to do is just basically cherry pick the nice things from both competitions um, so you don't have to use a specific brew method uh, mm -hmm. you don't have to give a presentation the presentations were so painful um, it's, uh, <laughs> for both the tea and the coffee you know? yeah. fair play to them you know the guys yeah. who competed and stuff because it's it's not easy but it was basically the same thing being said over and over again yeah uh, not not a spectator sport um <laughs> so uh, no offense like, no none um, taken good good <laughs> and uh, so uh, so the, the tea bros cup is uh, very there's no barrier to entry you can turn up uh, you get given three teas, which you have no idea what they're going to be before you turn up. You're given 45 minutes. Uh, the water is provided, so you don't have to, you know, create your own water and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, the hot water, as we spoke about before, will be uh, supplied. Um, 
and the top three go through to the final. So, uh, and they're judged based on the score sheets that we have. Uh, upon the announcement on that day, um, so it's going to happen on Thursday, the heats are on the Thursday. Uh, in the evening, the announcement will be made of who goes through to the final. At that time, there, each of the three finalists is given six tees. They should not go out. Uh, in the... <laughs> We're going to escort them back to the hotel. Nail those six tees and they'll have most of the next, next day to do it. And late afternoon, they'll come up and what they're going to do is they're going to brew each tea against each other. I'm sure... Tim's have probably copyrighted this, but uh, I, you know, I'm going to just play dumb and pretend I've never seen it before. <laughs> but they get eight minutes to brew yeah. <laughs> each of the teas, and the first tea, tea number one, they brew uh, and give it to the judges, and then they vote for the winner of that round, and it goes up on a leaderboard, and da da da. And then, uh, uh, so it is a bit of a spectator sport. It's a bit of fun, that kind of stuff, uh, and the one with the best brews wins becomes becomes a world champion in inverted commas you know we're not yeah, saying yeah. it is the world championship but it's uh the reason it was the same as for the why we held the tea brewers cup so uh on the thursday evening we've got a big get together um uh so i, I was doing a tea brewers cup uh some other guys are doing the uk tea academy uh jane pettigrew and, and, and a few other people there uh, jen from canton teas and uh, we met and uh um again talking with tim as well from postcard teas we all decided that actually you know what there should be an overarching authority organization which is owned by members, run by members. Uh, Paul Stack from Marco was amazing. You know, we had a mm-hmm. couple of old fashions and talked about <laughs> this, this kind of stuff. And yeah. um, he was great in, in sharing what the SCAE does and, yes. uh, and uh, its approach. So an organization owned by members, uh, led by members, and they'll be able to say, actually, Kaz, a T-Bros Cup is terrible this is how it should be run for <laughs> the UKT Academy guys. You're teaching stuff which is irrelevant these days. These are the yeah. things which we think are important. And hopefully it will lead on to the things that you mentioned, you know, uh, a few minutes ago about the yeah. research and gathering together research that's already been done, pooling all uh, all the resources, uh, a teapot tantrum. So on the Thursday evening, we're going to have an open discussion, float the idea of a European tea society or something like that. Uh, um, send people away in groups uh, with booze and um, come back a few minutes later and say, "This is what we think the society should do. This should be a remit. This is how it should be set up." And later on in the year, in the autumn, um, when we hold the UK Tea Bros Cup, we'll have another get together uh, for people who uh, want to get the society off off the ground so it's really you know i guess the society the t bros cup was just a bit of fun really gets people together i think society could be something of a legacy that's left it's something that probably every person in the tea industry will say it's a shame we haven't got something we we did have the tea council uk tea council um it's probably uh 
wasn't fit for purpose for the way I view tea and uh, I guess a, the way a lot of other people view tea. So, so I think the society will um, uh, fill that gap and uh, it will be interesting. We can put pressure on um, manufacturers, suppliers, uh, you know, the, the, the talks that we're going to have on that Thursday evening. Uh, we can just say things like do we, well, we we can look at the fair trade project you know I, mean, I think social good is a really important uh, part of my fabric and I think because as I said before we're just adding hot water uh, we it's a everything happens and magic happens over there so we we can talk about how we want the direct trade to happen what kind of um, measurable uh, benefits are we delivering uh, at Origin and um, there'll be lessons learned from what coffee's done. Um, should all of our packaging be environmentally friendly? Uh, and if it is, do you get a gold standard for whatever it is, whatever badge you get, that kind of stuff where we can just act as one, have a conversation, do some good and um, yeah, help push the industry forward. So, so a lot of fun and I'm uh, looking forward to uh, it happening in Dublin, which is uh, uh, which is a place I love. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that is so super exciting. Like it always, that is that is the kind of thing that that really just makes me happy. It's like yeah, we're gonna come together and we're gonna make a change and we're gonna we're gonna do this thing. So, how does somebody get in contact or let you know that they're interested in getting involved? Should they turn up on Thursday? Is there an email address? Like what's the best way for, for people to get involved? Um, so at the moment it's on our website, waterloo.com and then you'll find a tab on the top right. It says Brewers Cup and you can follow through for entry into the competition. There's a small entry fee, but you basically as soon as you enter, you get like a load of teaware and tea right. and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, more and you can handle on the especially if you make it to the finals more booze than you should be able to handle. Yeah, exactly <laughs> so you can enter there what we what we are encouraging is for barista to enter because people uh, will be in dublin anyway you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the thursday it's a 45 minute session i you know for our uk's last year we gave them 20 minutes for three t's which became a bit of a time challenge but uh for 45 minutes is is more than enough time to to nail three t's in my opinion and then if you do get through to the finals uh, the finals will last uh eight minutes times six uh, what is that 48 say an hour and a half top something like that on uh, on a friday afternoon uh and you could be the world champion so you can uh, so it's best to enter online and um yeah and just turn up for the show it should be the uh, the the thursday event is at the new coffee angel site uh it is really special um the, he's he's done it uh, with uh, uh it's a beautiful old building with a lot of heritage and he's uh, he's just paid homage to that so it i think is a it's, it's a great setting and uh, the the heat in the final will be at the rds so um so yeah yeah and it's been nice you know we've had sponsors from uh when i launched the uk tables cup last year it was part of me was thinking oh god you know people probably think this is just a terrible marketing ploy by <laughs> and, you know i was just it was the last thing i wanted you know yeah. so uh so and we had a lot of companies well this year you know we've got 
uh, postcard, Canton, Good and Property, Sukiti, Solaris from Dublin, uh, Marco, Hario, the UKT Academy, they've all sponsored the event and allowed it to happen. So it's uh, even there in itself, just it's surprising, it just breaks down so many perceived barriers in, in the tea industry. And uh, so, and I think when a society comes about and when it's owned by the members, I think it will potentially change um, change the landscape. So, so yeah, excited, very, very exciting times. And uh, uh, it'll be interesting to, I wish I could enter, you know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> are, there, are there rules against that? I don't know. So, like, we, we're doing coffee throwing while we're there, and Colin and Steve definitely always have a go. Now, naturally, coffee throwing is slightly less serious than tea brewing, <laughs> but where's, where are the rules that say that you can't enter? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, yeah. I'm pretty bad. I, I'm just a bit uh, but and if I lose, I'll just probably just say there's no final. So I'll uh, really best, <laughs> really best not to enter. I think. <laughs> but you should if you're around. I know yeah. you're just going standing around, not doing much anyway. So you oh yeah, never. <laughs> no, actually, this is this is one of the few times where I don't I don't have a lot. As far yeah. as I know, I don't know. Somebody yeah. might have farmed me out to do things because that sometimes <laughs> happens. But um, yeah. I'm trying to take less on this year, so that way I can actually be around to to enjoy the event now that it's yeah. in Dublin. You know, so. There's a, there's, a, there's a big buzz going on about Dublin, right? Yeah, uh, it yeah, is. I think it's going to be, yeah. I remember London just because it was local. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but I think Dublin is, is going to be special. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Well, we're we're at about an hour, maybe just slightly over, oh, which God, is well. which is good for us. But I know it's time yeah. flies when I talk to you. Like it just <laughs> it just goes, and there I, there are still a million things I could ask you, and I think maybe I'm just gonna have to pop over and see you, mm. um, <laughs> and we can have proper chats. Um, but uh, is there is there anything else you you want to chat about before we sign off, or is there any any other lasting thoughts you want to leave? Um, lasting thoughts. Um... I think we covered, uh, I hope the next time I'm able to uh, give you pointers and uh, signposts to more detail on agronomy and where we are, I think, in, in the tea industry. And uh, so I hope that's that's what the, the future future holds on, on that front. Um, and the, yeah, I just found it interesting, the, the change from single unoperated going up to chains, I think that's a really interesting discussion to be had, I think, because um, in the future, in terms of, uh, it, uh, I think we've been on our journey and it's been, uh, uh, I think, a definition or a clarification of what goals you should set yourself. I think that's, from a business point of view, I think that's an interesting topic to uh, maybe we can sit down over a cup of uh, coffee and uh, and talk about that. So yeah, but, uh, no, it's, it's been a pleasure. It's good good to have you back. Yeah, and, oh, uh, thanks very much. Well, if I don't see you before then, I will see you in Dublin. I'm really looking forward to the to the tea brewers and I, everyone. I will have the links up. Um, you can go straight to registration. I'll make sure that's in the the sort of footnotes or liner notes, if you will, of this week's podcast. Um, and yeah, uh, hopefully we'll see you there. Good, um, good. No, I look forward to it. No, yeah. good to chat. Yeah, thanks so much, Kaz. Um, yeah. Everyone else, we're going to sign off. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Over and out.